You are listening to the Chef John Podcast. I'm Andrew Scrivani. And I'm Chef John, the steel in this knife set. Welcome back. Hi, John. Hello, it's so nice, to, it's so oh, yeah, nice stepped, to see you. I stepped right on your line. Sorry about that. You know what's really important, John? What's that? More so than you stepping on my line. Wait, say that again. <laughs> you know what's really what's important, that? John? Sorry, I stepped on your line. <laughs> All right. Well, what's really important, John, is that we say thank you to everyone who's been listening to our podcast because uh, they gave us a banner opening and have been super supportive. And we just want to say thank you for all the love. Yes, I definitely could not agree more. I'm extremely happy with how things went with the opening. The only thing I'm slightly disappointed, we're only at a five star rating. And I was really hoping to do a little better than that. I don't think we can do better than that, John. Yeah, well, that's that's a terrible attitude. Okay, um, well, yeah. Anyway, as five as high as it goes. Yes, five is as high as it goes, John. Let me restate that. I am so happy with how things started off and with it were five star ratings. Keep it up, people. Uh, don't forget to leave a comment too, not just the rating, the comment. And if I might add, and then we'll finish the plugs, make sure you visit our website. We have a website that is super easy to get to, super easy to remember, uh, which would be, uh, I forgot the name of the website. That would be the Chef John podcast. That's exactly it. That makes so much sense. The Chef John podcast. Please go check it out. And there's lots more information there. And uh, yeah, that's it. That, I think we took care of business. John, the next time you forget, just look at your license. It is your name, the Chef John. Okay. And now you just have to change your last name to podcast and you, you will have a constant reminder. If and when I get a vanity plate, that's going to be it. Now, John, I, I don't know if you remember, but I was a big fan of the X-Files in the 90s. I don't know if that was something that, we, that tickled your fancy back then. I, you know, I I, I did a little, uh, what was it, Scully and Mulder? Mueller? That's right. That's right. I, I remember. Okay. Yeah. I mean, of, of all the files, the X is probably one of my favorites. At least, right? There's only a couple left in the alphabet after that. So exactly. I mean, you had to make up your mind at some point. I like the first... Uh, you know, a couple seasons, and then I think like every show is literally the same show. And then it probably went off the air. The, yeah, they bring it back every once in a while. But what what made me think about the X Files is I was thinking about some stories that you had told me that have sort of the spooky element, like a mysterious, strange, unexplained phenomenon kind of theme to the stories. So as we are fond of themes here on the Chef John podcast, I wanted to remind you of some of those spooky, creepy stories. Now, of course, we're not quite at uh, Halloween yet, but for now, the mysterious X-Files of Chef John, the one story I would love for you to start with is telling us about how you found the property at which you live on now. Uh, well, the name is actually a spoiler, but I have to go with that to start off. We live in a, on a property that actually has a name. It's called Kismet. And we know this because there's a giant wooden sign 10 feet over our entrance that says Kismet, a handmade wooden sign. I, I was familiar with the word very vaguely in the past, but uh, now do you know what the word Kismet means? I do. What is uh, your understanding of that word? I think my understanding of the word Kismet is just that. It's the exact thing that you need to happen at that moment, and it just happens magically. So that's sort of like why Kismet is such an interesting concept is that it's very, very difficult to 
defined, but you actually know it when it happens. Okay. So now that I basically spoiled the story, I'll tell the story, but it's important to get that out there first because uh, where the new studio is now, where we're filming is a property called Kismet. And Michelle and I were looking for uh, a house to buy, to move out of San Francisco to the country, quote unquote, for over a year and a half and having zero luck, mostly because I'm sure you're familiar with the Northern California real estate market for non-lottery winners, it's challenging. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, giving away free recipes online is you know, not quite as profitable as you might think. No. We're looking at places that aren't necessarily awesome, but they're in our budget. We see this open house in Sebastopol, California, which is about an hour and a half north of San Francisco. And you can tell, you know, from the pictures if you're, it's going to be a good contender or not. And this was not necessarily something we were too interested in. But my excuse always was, hey, Michelle, we'll have lunch in Sebastopol. Like just some great food in, in the wine country, Sonoma, Healdsburg, Sebastopol, et cetera. So that was always my excuse to go see these open houses we probably weren't they probably weren't going to lead to anything but i would get a nice glass of wine and some good food and so anyway talk michelle and to go into this open house so we leave san francisco in the morning drive up get to the open house and the realtor didn't show up the door's locked can't get into the place which now now i'm annoyed right not off to a good start we don't even necessarily care about this place we were thinking maybe it looks better than in the pictures and the price is right so forth. So there's a phone number on the real estate sign. So I'm calling, hey, uh, I'm no expert on open houses, but I think someone's supposed to come open the house. <laughs> and uh, so I'm doing one liners on the phone. And in the meantime, Michelle takes sort of a walk around the, the property. There's a deck that was on the right side. And there was another couple in the same situation, apparently waiting for this realtor to show up. Elderly women, I guess would be the appropriate term, older woman and her friend. Anyway, she starts talking and it's weird because the woman used to live on the same block that we lived on in San Francisco way back when. Uh, so that was kind of a weird, like in common type thing. And realtor finally comes, house is as terrible as we thought. But the woman, Sharon, I should probably use her actual name, uh, said, hey, since this didn't work out too well, my mom passed away a few years ago. I've been caretaking her place thinking about putting it on the market in the spring. Since this didn't, you know, this wasn't too great for you guys. You drove all the way up. If you want to swing by and just take a peek, uh, I'm not ready to have people in, but if you want to just look from the, around the outside from the driveway, feel free. If it looks like something that might interest you, we can, you know, connect and, and go to the next step. So we're like, oh, that's so nice of you. And she says, yeah. So she gives us a direction. She says, you can't miss it. There's a giant sign over the driveway that says Kismet. So immediately we're thinking, well, that's weird because of how we just heard about Kismet was Kismet because had the realtor been there and the door had been open, you know, we would just walked in, seen this crappy house that we didn't really want. And we would have left and had lunch and my plan would have been complete. But of course, that's not what happened. You know, we we're waiting for this person to show up. So Michelle's shooting the bull with the, these you know ladies on the deck finding out about Kismet. So that was the first weirdness. So we drive up and it just like love at first sight, tree lined, you know, overhang. You're like, you're in a tree cave going up this private road, stop in front of the address, big, gorgeous, handmade, hand carved kismet sign above the drive. This little two, two bedroom, one bath house up on a hill, fruit trees, oaks, the quintessential 
kind of Sonoma wine country scene. And Michelle's like, oh my God, this is like, this is what we've been looking for. Like, this is unbelievable. It's on two and a quarter acres, like a vernal pond in the front. After about two minutes of, oh my God, this is awesome. Kismet, total kismet. I realize, wait a minute, this is two and a quarter acres in like the sweetest part of Sonoma wine country. Like we're surrounded by vineyard. Like this is probably out of our price range since we just left a place that was not even half of this property that wasn't our budget range. So I was instantly like went from euphoria to this is going to be just be a major disappointment. If this was a screenplay, you know, you had built up the tension at the height of act two, and now we've just crashed to the bottom. Yes. And now we have to figure out our way out of this hole. Yes. Now I want to throw in a red herring. Anyway, we'll do that later. <laughs> is this a food show? Mmm, red herring <laughs> with cheese. So anyway, we go back to San Francisco. Michelle traded uh, phone numbers with Sharon. So call her. Oh my gosh, Sharon, thank you so much. You made our trip worth the drive. Gorgeous property. Would love to chat, but I'm afraid our budget is XYZ. And this is clearly probably out of our league. And she says, you know what? Come up, at least see the place. So we went up a week or two later and uh, she had us over, had some cheese on the table. We had some of the, her well water, delicious well water. And the house was definitely a fixer-upper, but it was so cool, hand-built by her stepfather for her mom. It was her mom's fourth marriage. He built it by hand. This is early 70s. He was this total character, like a Dutch paratrooper who was like a war hero, then came to Sebastopol and became like a self-taught carpenter, handyman, electrician, like just a savant. And he literally built this house by hand on nights and weekends, like with a couple buddies, like they dug the crawl space out with shovels, like crazy. So he built this love nest up on this hill in Sonoma, just built this thing for her. Rini was her name. She did some art direction and um, set design on Alfred Hitchcock, the bird. That's the local uh, drop of name. Okay. Very nice. So long story short, she did not want to sell the property to some real estate flipper. She wanted someone that could take over like the legacy and treat Kismet like her stepfather and mom had, you know, built the vision of the place. So basically in lieu of extra money, she could have got put it on the open market. We ended up doing like a private sale. And this is after a year, literally a year, almost exactly a year of courting each other. And we would go up once a week, at least have, you know, some food with her and talk about the place. And we had so many more weird um, coincidences or her parents came to the same time. Michelle's parents came. It just one thing after another, just all these weird similarities. And she eventually ended up selling it to us for what we could afford, which was the same price as the really bad place. We met her. Yes. And she actually led us on a couple of the trips, spend the night. See, she had a house in Ukai, which is about an hour up the road. So we would get a feel for the place. She's like, spend a night. She was worried a couple of city slickers like us wouldn't be able to take care of a two plus acre place in Sonoma because there is a lot of, you know, landscaping that has to be done. Yes, I know you've become a gentleman farmer. I am a gentleman farmer. Not very gentlemanly, if you get me in the middle of a weeding project. (laughs) We came up and spent nights and- And she left the house fully furnished too. 
Yes, and uh, Michelle is filling in some color in the background here. I really always appreciate the voice from beyond. And since this is a story that's supposed to be a little spooky, the fact that we have a voice from beyond, you should have just told everyone that that was Sharon, right? Well, no, it's weird. Michelle's getting her haircut. She's not even in the house. I have no idea where that sound was coming from. Oh, well, geez. So we might have to cut the recording short. I got to investigate. Anyway, so yes, we spent the night and just became friends, basically. And you know your friends when you both use the same lawyer to close the deal in a house. Talk about non-adversarial, I think is the legal term. Right. We've tried to live up to the promise of doing it justice. And Kismet was literally Kismet. It is a screenplay that's Hollywood ready. We'd have to make it slightly less believable because it's like... That was going to be my only input. We'd have to back down the actual real happenings. Yes. Because no one would believe that. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's like, as your producer on this film, I would have to say we'd have to dial it back a bit because it is a bit unbelievable. Yeah, a number of real estate agents in California that don't show up to open their open house is like zero. That's never happened. So that's the first thing. Like, how do you go to this wine country open house and there's no one there? The guy is like the wrong date or something. So for those of you who believe in some things that are anomalous, this is a story for you. Yes, it was pure kismet. So sometimes the unexplained or the spooky or the eerie isn't as positive as our kismet story, John. And there's another one that you told me just recently that is kind of left with sort of a head scratcher. And uh, not only was it a head scratcher for us, but uh, even some... uh, seasoned professionals who are checking into this situation when you out of nowhere lost your sense of taste for sweet which i would feel is one of the most horrifying things i could imagine this has not covid related so this is not about the the things that people have been experiencing unfortunately by having covid infections this is something that just kind of happened to you out of the blue many years ago And it's something that is unexplained to this day. Uh, We don't know why this happened. Maybe our audience can help us with this. Maybe we can get a, what do you call a crowdsource diagnosis for what happened. So maybe you can explain to us your symptoms and our audience can tell us what exactly went wrong here. Yes. After our crowdsource diagnosis, I definitely want a crowdsource prescription. (laughs) (laughs) What started it was one of my more embarrassing restaurant complaints of my eating career. I'm easy to please. I don't do a lot of complaining in restaurants. Uh, Although I will tell the audience as I do a little bit of a sidebar here, never eat and pay for something at a restaurant that you don't like. I cannot stress this enough. Your average Joe on the street that goes to a restaurant, just, you know, quote unquote, fancy place a few times a year, uh, seems very intimidated to send something back that is just not exactly what they wanted. And I see this at tables next to me and it always bothers me and I don't wanna butt into people's business. But if you don't like something, when the server says, hey, how's your whatever? Uh, How's your tuna? Well, I wish there was more cheese on it or whatever your complaint is. So- uh, You know why people are afraid of that though, right? Why? Well, they think that people are gonna spit on their food. No, that's only in New York. Come on. (laughs) In the rest- of the civilized world, that does not happen. They're not going to spit on your food, especially since the server puts the new order in for now you want the salmon instead of the sole because the sole was just not what you thought it was going to be. So this is not calling out like line cooks, like, hey, you, jerk, this steak, who cooked this? <laughs> your first steak? I'm talking about you order a nice expensive entree. It's not what you thought. 
It doesn't taste good to you. Every restaurant worth its salt will happily bring you something else without any fanfare, no guilt trips. And I don't know if your average restaurant goer realizes that. But what if it's really pretty and you take a picture of it first, like most people do, post it on Instagram and then send it back? No, you see, you Instagram it, you bought it. (laughs) Okay, good. That's an old saying. Yeah, from way back in 2011. I digress. So the point is, I will not hesitate to get what I want at a restaurant very politely, very affably. I'm not a bone picker. I can overlook some honest mistakes, Uh, you know, like in sports, errors of aggression. You got thrown out a second, trying to stretch it, fine, don't do it again, but we understand. This whole conversation has been edging on around sports because you said your eating career, and now you're giving a baseball reference. And I was when you said eating career, I was thinking about what's the back of Chef John's baseball eating card? That's going to be a whole nother podcast. Let me make a note here as I pretend to, hold on. Do you have a pen? You want to write something down? Let me get my paper. Rustle it around a little. That's my notebook, which I don't know why I'm crumpling it. Uh, anyway, yeah, we'll have to, that's another episode. There's going to be a few fun stats on there. All right, good. Well, I'm talking about complaining in restaurant dining rooms about something that's not quite right. Because I bit into a barbecued beef rib one time, like a prime rib bone, which I don't usually order, but it's really nice and fatty. If it's done right, it can be fantastic. Mm. So beef rib smothered in barbecue sauce as advertised. So it comes to the table, bite into it. And it was the worst barbecue sauce I've ever tasted in my life because it did not taste like barbecue sauce. It tasted like barbecue sauce. If you forgot any sweetener, no brown sugar, no molasses, no maple, no nothing, just the savory elements, the vinegar, the spice, which is a barbecue sauce, but not what they were advertising. So I was so confused. And the server happened to just come by right after my bite. How's everything? Well, to be honest, not good. You know, I don't know the chef, but I think he might have forgot an ingredient in the barbecue sauce. Or someone did, because this does not taste like barbecue sauce. She's like, well, let me check with the chef. So I think she's just going to come back and bring me the right sauce or just tell me that's how it's supposed to be. Anyway, the chef comes back. So now we got to have a scene at the table. And he is highly defensive and very much thinking this sauce is awesome. And he is <laughs> beside himself that I did not think it had a sweet element because he's like, you know, it has a cup and a half of this and it's guy made it myself. And I was thinking maybe one of the cooks mixed it up, but it's the batch. I, you know, he's mystified. I'm like, you know what? Just could be one of those things. So I'm trying to, you know, politely extricate myself from this complaint situation. Uh, nothing was resolved. He left confused thinking I'm insane. I left thinking this guy's a just a terrible chef, doesn't even realize what his food tastes like. Uh, Michelle tasted a little bit. She's like, yeah, it's a little bit sweet. Yeah, it's not the best I've tasted, but no harm, no foul. It was actually pretty good without the sauce. So we had a bunch of other stuff. It was a good restaurant. So no big complaints other than the sauce. A couple of days later, we're hiking in Marin. We stop at this snack bar, uh, which is like in the gift center there. And they're famous for their homemade fudge. And I'm not a big sweet tooth guy. I don't know. Are you a sweet tooth guy? We've never talked about this. Yeah, I do like sweet things. Because I don't eat wheat, I don't eat a lot of cookies and cakes and things, but I love ice cream. And I will indulge in at least a little tablespoon of ice cream every night. And you are fudge positive. Yes, fudge positive. So I'm not a huge sweet guy, but fudge, one of my childhood sweets of choice. So I get a piece of this fudge and bite into it. 
And it was the oddest sensation of anything I've ever like bit into where you're thinking it's going to taste like one thing, but it tastes like another. Oh, that happens once in a while. Yeah, it's weird. And it's really disorienting. Like when you accidentally, and this has happened to anyone that's cooked long enough in a restaurant where you grab the salt and it's there's a sugar or vice versa. Mm-hmm. And you take that first taste on your finger and you're like, wait a minute. Oh, I've done that in coffee. Or you put sugar in the soup and it's like, oh, Ugh, yeah, that's and weird. That- so anyway, it was one of those. So I bite in this piece of fudge and it was like biting into a piece of wax. Like it had the texture of fudge. I got a little bit of that bitterness of the chocolate, but it was like sugarless fudge. <laughs> and I'm like, Michelle, so she takes it, but she's like, John, that tastes like fudge. So then it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I'm like, the barbecue sauce from the couple nights before flashes in my brain. I'm like, that poor guy. I got the chef out in the dining room asking him about his failure to sweeten his sauce. And it's me. Something's happened to my taste. I cannot taste sweet. <laughs> So anyway, we get home from hiking. I run into the kitchen. I get a tablespoon of pure white sugar, nothing. So now I'm freaking out. So I make an appointment with a doctor. And this is obviously way pre-COVID. So I didn't even know losing your sense of taste was a thing. It was WebMD a thing? Like you could like look it up? Uh, It actually was a thing. And I made the mistake of looking it up. Oh, God. And really one of the few things that would cause that, uh, you can take a wild guess, yeah, it's like a brain Gigantic tumor. Gigantic grapefruit sized brain tumor would do it. <laughs> Even a navel orange sized tumor will might do it. But honestly, John, every time I look on WebMD, I'm convinced I have a brain You're tumor. You're dead. Yes, I'm dead. So anyway, I make the appointments, I go in, and I see probably altogether over the course of the next year, six different doctors, specialists, young, old, foreign, domestic. I'm getting CAT scans the blood work, like you name it. And the doctors are fascinated by this because this is not a common thing. Losing your taste actually is not that uncommon, but losing just one of the parts of taste, like sweet, is kind of weird from what I hear. So they're guessing, is it anxiety? I recently had had like a major life change leaving uh, California Culinary Academy to do some project launch uh, my culinary school online, which never ended up being a thing. Long story short, well, actually not that short, but long story, slightly shorter, about a year, almost a year and a half goes by and my sense of sweet just comes back. Like not necessarily overnight, but within like maybe a week, I just start noticing things tasting slightly different. I would test myself once in a while. Like I would think it was coming back and I'd take some sugar and I would get that same flat And I would be kind of get depressed again, which the doctor was like, that's probably perpetuating this because every time you think it's coming back and then you eat a piece of candy to see, and then it doesn't, whatever those enzymes and- Yeah, you don't get the endorphin rush, right? Those brain chemicals you're releasing because you're stressed about this thing is probably making it do that. Yeah, you were serotonin free. Yeah, so that was really weird. And then it came back which is good, obviously. And it's been normal ever since. But did you binge? Like I would have binged. I would have just been crazy. I don't think I did. I probably celebrated by eating savory food. Like I probably had a BLT. But anyway, it went and that was the happy ending, except it's still like, what the heck caused it? What was it? There was just no physical explanation for it. And will it ever come back again? And will it ever come back again? That is the mystery. 
So as many of you may have figured out, we have a call-in line where we were asking you to leave us messages for Chef John. So listen to Chef John respond to your voicemails. Hello, Chef John. Your videos have gotten me through some tough times and were very comforting. So I wanted to ask you, what is your comfort food of choice? What do you go to? Well, thank you for that, um, man with mysterious deep voice. You did not leave your name, but we are happy that you are here. John, you, you, what is your comfort food of choice? Well, before I get to that, and I'm very excited to answer this because I have so many comfort foods of choices, or is it comfort foods of choice? Anyway, if you call our call-in line and don't leave your name, we have to give you a name, a loner name, that will just be used on the show until further notice. So deep voice, man, you are Tom Larson. So thank you, Tom. We also have to give you a location. Uh, where do you think Tom was from, Andrew? I mean, he's definitely from Wyoming. Wrong. He's from Sheboygan. Oh, you were close though. <laughs> Tom Larson from Sheboygan. Thank you for your call. And the reason that I really enjoyed that call is we were worried no one would call in and we would have to fake these calls. And if that was the case, and I used a handkerchief and talked through a phone and tried to disguise my voice and make it even deeper, that's exactly what it would have sounded like. So thank you for that. Thank you, Tom from Sheboygan. Tom from Sheboygan, old man, uh, Larson's kid. I uh, hope you're doing well. And thank you so much, first of all, that we got you through some tough times. Uh, that is by far the most complimentary thing you can say about the videos or the podcast or anything we present, because that's really what it's about. It's nice. You know, you learn to cook something very good. But if it actually makes you feel good as you're doing it or while you're listening, that that is the best uh, feedback ever. So thank you for that. My comfort food of choice is potatoes. If I had to pick one potato preparation, it would just be a big old pile of mashed potatoes, hopefully gravy adjacent. Mm. I think this started as an early, very young, young boy, like infant. The earliest years of my culinary life my baby food, apparently, from what I'm told, the first people food I ate was potato salad. And that was, I guess, one of my favorite, you know, trying to get kids to eat real food thing. So I think that was a holdover into my adult life. And I have a soft spot for anything potato, especially potato salad, especially mashed potatoes. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show before, but one of my guilty pleasures is instant mashed potatoes. Since we always had a box in the pantry growing up as a kid, huh. and I get home from school, maybe it was a little bit of a rough day. Both parents worked late at night. Was that latchkey kid we were called? Yeah, you were a latchkey kid like me. So you come home, you put something in the toaster or microwave, put something on TV and wait for the parents to come home. And instant mashed potatoes were one of my sort of go-to ready in five minutes comfort food until mom came home and made everything better. So anyway, Tom, I would say potatoes any sort, but particularly mashed potato salad in a pinch, French fries, of course. That would be my comfort food. Fantastic. Not that anybody cares, but mine's peanut butter. So thank you all for joining us. John, I wonder, what is our takeaways from this show? Um, let's see. What did we learn today? I think to recap, if you ever go to an open house and the door's locked, that is the universe trying to tell you something that first of all, the real estate agent's terrible, but more importantly, hang out for a few minutes. Something incredible might happen. And that is just the universe working and it's always 
mystifying ways. So that's one thing I think we learned. Okay. The other thing is if you are in a restaurant and you order a barbecue and it tastes terrible and it tastes like someone didn't put the sugar component in, the sweet element, don't assume it was the chef's fault. It could be your sympathetic, what is the nervous system that controls panic and flight, fight, flight response? Your sympathetic nervous system? Sympathetic nerve, yes. That could be to blame, not the chef. That's, I think, the biggest takeaway. We got into anatomy too. That's amazing. Yes. In fact, maybe I'll try to find and share the CAT scans. <laughs> it is the doctor said when he took him out of the envelope to put him on the light table, we looked very closely at your brain and we found nothing, which I took as a really good straight line and then went on from there. But anyway, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to leave us a review. And a five-star rating, even if you didn't like the show, that's all we ask. And hit the website, thechefjohnpodcast.com. Say goodnight, Andrew. Goodnight, Andrew. Andrew.